Hello there, and welcome to the Audio Epics podcast. Today we're premiering the sixth episode of The Treasure of Boneyard Bay with the chapters The Castaway and The Guardian. Thank you so much for your many heartwarming comments about the story so far. And of course, there's much more to come after this episode. We're about halfway and six more episodes will follow. If you want to support us to keep creating these epic stories, please check out our Patreon page on patreon.com slash audioepics. There are several tiers with corresponding rewards, so you can check out which one appeals to you most. The Guardsman tier or $1 tier is the lowest. It will give you access to our Patreon community with extra content. For example, we recently released an exclusive blooper reel on Patreon for the treasure of Boneyard Bay. You can have your say in polls and contribute to the making off with ideas and suggestions. And you can just feel warm and fuzzy inside, of course, knowing that you're contributing to each new story from only $12 a year onward, or even just for a couple of months. From the Witch Hunter Master tier on, that's the $10 a month tier, you even get the full download of the extended edition of the story, that is, 50 minutes longer than this standard edition, on YouTube and in the podcast. Thank you all for liking, commenting and sharing, for reviewing and purchasing our stories in whichever way, shape or form you prefer. Um, and may I remind you that there is also a book version that you can read with your eyes, which is available on Amazon. Don't forget to subscribe and get notified of new content and ring that bell and always stay up to date. The Teresia is ready again to set sail and we hope with you aboard. Enjoy this sixth episode of The Treasure of Boneyard Bay. The Castaway What is this? asked Captain Brokelhoff, as Ludlov presented the piece of wood. They were sitting around the table in the captain's quarter, Ludlov and Chappelle still wrapped in blankets. The object looked like a plaque, but the wood was very old and rough. The drawing carved into it was still clearly visible, however. Where's the treasure? Tomgard barked. Well, clearly this is not it, Chappelle said in an irritated tone. Then what is this? A clue, I hope, Master von Baumeister said. Yes, if this is the actual treasure, I think we've got reason to be disappointed, Federhel commented wryly. It's the claw of some kind of beast, Tomgard said, pointing at the carving. Gustav snorted. <laughs> You're not the sharpest blade in the witch hunter arsenal, are you, Tomgard? He said, ignoring the man's venomous look. This is the archipelago of Garadoso, Captain Brokelhoff said calmly. It lies to the east of Esclavia. And this is truly all that you found when you used the key? Von Baumeister asked Chappelle, who sat up straight to regale her story. I dived to the bottom of Kulmaron's crown and found the lock. Just a small, star-shaped hole in a metal trap door, really. I almost missed it, since it was covered with seaweed and mollusks. I tied the statuette to the rope so I wouldn't lose it, but then turned it. It felt like something clicked, but I couldn't open it, so I pulled at the rope to warn Ludlov. Then I think he pulled very hard because the statuette came loose from the trap door. At that point, I thought it was all over, but somehow the trap door had opened as well, and I could see that there was nothing inside except this piece of wood, which floated straight up. I tried to catch it, but I could only barely touch it and ended up only pushing it away. I saw it rise up away from me, 
At that point, I had to swim up myself because I was almost drowning. I reached the surface near one of the peaks. In short, this is all you found, Tomgard said darkly. Just another clue, then. It's better than nothing, Captain Brokelhoff said. I can sail to Haradoso with you. It may take some time, so we will need to restock when we reach the southernmost point of Isclavia, but I know how to get there. No civilized men have set foot on those islands in a thousand years, Alvarado said gloomily. Details about them are terrifying. Well, what did you expect? That the treasure would just be buried in Boneyard Bay itself? Chappelle said. Well, I did think finding it would have been easier, Alvarado muttered with a shrug. It's like Gustav pointed out before, Ludlov said. If it were buried there, the treasure would have been taken long ago. But I'm still wondering about Garadoso. He continued, reaching for the wooden carving. If this depiction is accurate, then it consists of one big island and three smaller ones, making it look like a huge paw print in the sea. That is correct, said Captain Brokelhoff. You will find it like that on any map of that region. Remarkable, Ludlow said. But which of the islands should we visit? Well, I've read quite a bit about the ancient Garadosians, said Federhel. Of course you have, Tomgard interjected, rolling his eyes. They were a central part of the Matpatanian civilization. Apparently, they used to have a sacred temple in the middle of the main island. Why do you think that's our location? Chappelle asked. Because it was dedicated to the sea god, Kumaron, Federhel replied. He was worshipped by the Matpatanians. Hmm. We did find a map in the crown of Kulmaron, of course. That in itself may be a clue. Chappelle mused. And there is more. According to the writings of an Oba Classican scholar named Amia Ostinia, the temple itself was near a hill, entirely covered by the flowers we now call Strandkron. But if I remember well, I actually think the Matpatanians referred to them as crowns of Kulmaron. It's the only clue we have for now, Ludlow said. What do you say, Master? He asked von Baumeister. I am aware of the writings of Amia Ostinia, he said. Much of her work seems to be steeped in exaggerated mythological language. For instance, she also tells of a great monster guarding the island, judging the hearts of those who sail there. But Kumaron was definitely an actual Matpatanian deity. That is well attested. If there is indeed a temple dedicated to this same god on the main island of Garadosa, it may be a clear indication of our destination. So I assume that means we will sail there, Captain Brokelhoff said. Yes, von Baumeister replied. Although I'm quite surprised you are so eager, Captain. Your service will be required much longer than we initially thought, and there is no guarantee we will be able to pay you more for it. Although we will, if we find the treasure, of course. Captain Brokelhoff smiled at the prospect. All the more reason for me to help you witch hunters find it, he said. But in truth, I'm mostly eager to leave this place. The Teresia set sail towards the southeast, slowly making her way back towards the peninsula of Isclavia. As their journey continued, the weather began to turn. The wind picked up, speeding them along, but the sea became more restless as well. Ludlow began to appreciate the hammock in his cabin even more. 
when the whole ship heaved and swayed about him, hanging suspended in a net provided some sense of stability. The captain had ordered Berendt, the cook, to be more sparing with his ingredients, and so their meals had become much more modest than before, although Alvarado made sure to encourage him from time to time to try some of the herbs that he had bought in Boneyard Bay. And, of course, the Goldorian wine still helped to keep the conversation lively in the captain's quarters, especially whenever Gustav was involved. Federhell tended to keep to himself, and had his nose buried in books even more than before, devouring everything he could find on Garadoso. Alvarado had become unusually quiet as well. Wondering what was on his mind, Ludlov had approached him one evening. You know, what this scholar wrote is no mere myth, he had said. The monster that judges hearts is real. Everyone in Esclavia knows that. They also know that no one ever returns from Garadoso. Well, if no one ever returns, then where do the stories come from? Ludlov had replied. The sky was bright, but the sun was hidden behind the tattered rags of white clouds when they arrived in the southernmost port of Podia. It immediately looked more civilized than Boneyard Bay, but beyond the harbor, it was rather small. The buildings were white and thick-walled, with wide turrets covered with red shingles. Tall, thin palm trees stuck out between them. They fascinated Ludlov, for they looked unlike anything that grew in his home country. He also found himself marveling at some large, colorful birds that he had never seen before, with curved beaks and long tails. Alvarado paid a boy with a monkey on his shoulder to lead the group through the town and show them where the best traders could be found. In the streets, they saw people from every part of the known world, many of them from the southern continent. There were turban-wearing men carrying scimitars and tall, mysterious black-skinned women who wore rows of rings around their exceedingly long necks. All manner of languages were spoken at the market stalls, including some that sounded different from anything Ludlov had ever heard before. Their stay in Podia was brief. Once they had restocked their food supply, the captain decided to make use of the good wind while they still could, and they quickly left again. The Teresia sailed east and then north once she had passed the southernmost bend around Disclavia. The wind calmed down again once they were on the east side of the peninsula, and their journey slowed down somewhat. One night, Ludlov was alone in his usual spot on the barrel on the deck, enjoying a blood-red sunset, when he decided to stretch his legs and walk around a bit. As usual, Gustav, Federhel and Alvarado were playing cards, while crew members went about their business around them. The other companions of the treasure hunt seemed to have retired below deck. Ludlov made his way to the poop deck, leaning on the railing, looking at the widening trail the ship made in the water behind them. He had never expected it, but the journey really had helped him with his grief. He almost felt guilty about the relief and even joy he had felt at times, 
as if he was only allowed to feel pain and despair anymore after Maria's death. But then he thought of the return home, with or without the treasure, and the empty living quarters that awaited him there, and he knew he would be grieving for years to come. Would he ever truly be free of the pain? Did he really want that? As he was mulling over these questions, his eye suddenly fell on a familiar sight on the waves. A ship that looked like it had black sails. Perhaps it only seemed that way in the dim light, but if the sails were indeed black, it was almost certainly the same vessel they had encountered before. It was closer now, and he could make out its shape without the help of a spyglass. His suspicion only grew as it was picking up speed, closing the distance towards the Teresia with the wind in its sails. He looked around at the sailors on deck. Some of them noticed it as well and pointed. Ain't that the ship you saw earlier, Mr. Ludlove? asked one of the men. It is, Ludlove replied. I'm almost certain. I'll inform the captain then. Good. The sailor left and Ludlove remained standing at the rail, keeping his eye fixed on the vessel. The sun had set completely, leaving only a tepid glow in the sky when Chappelle arrived. I was sent here to watch the black ship with you, she said, then turned to Ludlove, eyeing him warily. Don't you have a spyglass? I do, he said. I find them useless. I prefer just watching. Chappelle shrugged and took out her own spyglass. You are a strange man, Ludlow of Seven Peaks, she said, as she peered out over the sea. Ah, there it is. Oh, that is close. She lowered the spyglass. The ship was much closer behind them now. Yes, I'm sure it is the same ship that followed us from Luanvu. More than a little strange, isn't it? Ludlove suggested. Well, they're changing direction, Chappelle said. What do you mean? Ludlove asked, confused. The ship had clearly been gaining on them the whole time. I thought you didn't need a spyglass, Ludlove. Look for yourself. Embarrassed, Ludlove returned his gaze to the ship. It was harder now that the sky had grown much darker, but he could still make it out nevertheless. Chappelle was right. The frigate was turning west, returning to the coast of Esclavia. That's strange, Ludlow said. It wasn't flying the pirate flag, Chappelle said. So I never thought they were planning to board us. Are pirates always so polite as to announce their visits? Polite, no, but proud and cruel, said Captain Brokelhoff from behind Ludlow's back. He turned to see the lion crester approaching. They love to let their victims simmer in fear a bit before they attack. Most of the time they can avoid meeting any resistance like that. A lot of pirates are cowards and would prefer not to fight. He smiled. In the case of the Teresia, we have nothing to fear from most sea robbers. A galleon like this, armed with broadside cannons, <laughs> they wouldn't dare approach us. Ludlow frowned. In that case, Captain, I think these may have been pirates. The captain shrugged. Perhaps. But then they obviously changed their minds and gave up. 
Ludlow couldn't argue with that. As he watched the ship sail away towards the last remaining light on the horizon, Chappelle laid her hand on his shoulder. It is good to be vigilant, Ludlow. You did well. I hope so, was all he could say. Ludlow remained on deck throughout the night, still wary about the ship. Their turn could have just been a strategic maneuver, a ruse. For all he knew, they were planning to return for a surprise attack in the dead of night. Pirates never do that, the crew members had told him over and over again. But Ludlow believed there was a first time for everything. He knew there was someone in the crow's nest, but he couldn't sleep anyway. And as Chappelle had said, it was good to be vigilant. The stars and the moon were shining brightly far above, mirrored in the calm waters of the sea, when Ludlow was still sitting on his barrel, watching the horizon. Once again, Chappelle approached him, bearing a lantern this time. The warm flickering light reflected on her golden hair, making it look like living fire. You are one obstinate man, Initiate, she said, as she set the lantern down on the barrel next to him. Some would call it paranoia, he admitted. Perhaps it is, he added, feeling self-conscious. Did they send you to keep an eye on me again? Chappelle shook her head. No, I came of my own accord. Ludlow was silent, but he appreciated her visit. I want to thank you, Ludlow, Chappelle said unexpectedly. Thank me? For what? She hesitated and looked a bit embarrassed. It was only because of you that I returned to the Theresia after Longview, she said quietly, even though there was no one around to listen in on the conversation. I was really thinking about quitting and returning to my past to set some things right. It seems in some ways I'm still an initiate myself, and I still need to be tested at times. I think that is true for all of us, even Master von Baumeister. She gave him a knowing smile. In any case, witch hunter, I believe you passed the test, if I may say so as an initiate, Ludlow said. For now I did, Chappelle said. But I still feel the pull of Bodubak Forest. It calls to me, Ludlow. I've never experienced anything like it. It's not merely the desire for justice or revenge. It's destiny. She spoke quietly, her eyes taking on a faraway, dreamlike quality. Then she returned to the present. One day I will go back, she said finally. Ludlow and Chappelle talked for another hour before deciding that rest was needed and retiring each to their own cabin. Ludlow's rest was short, however, as he was shaken out of his sleep at the crack of dawn by a loud cry from the deck. Man overboard! He had slept in his clothes, so he could simply rush outside to see what was happening. As he arrived on deck, he saw Alvarado jumping overboard with a loud splash. Ludlow hastened to the starboard side, where he could see the young Esclavian swimming towards a piece of driftwood a ship's length away. There was someone lying on top of it, who was moving very slowly. 
From this distance it was hard to tell, but it seemed to be a man with long reddish-brown hair. Alvarado heaved the castaway onto his shoulder, leaving the piece of wreckage behind. The man seemed very weak, but managed to hold on to his rescuer, if only barely. Alvarado's return swim was slower, but eventually he arrived and the two of them were brought back on board. By this time, all of the companions had arrived on deck and were watching the rescue. Everyone made way for Alvarado when he laid down the unconscious man on deck. Up close, Ludlow could see his face was burned red by the sun and his lips were scabbed and parched. He looked like he had been floating on that piece of driftwood for days. Is he conscious? Von Baumeister asked. He was when I arrived, because he listened when I told him to grab me, but along the way he may have slipped into a faint. Alvarado looked concerned and anxious, as if the man's survival had become his responsibility now. You are brave to do that, Ludlow said reassuringly. Thank you, amigo. Allow me to take a look at him, said Blessed Salenheim, making her way through the gathering. She knelt down at the man's side and put her hand on his forehead. There was silence. I don't think that man's an Esclavian, Tomgard said. He's Flatlandish. I'm certain of it. You can just tell, declared the captain. Excuse me, captain. I'd like to know how, Gustav said with a frown. Captain Brokelhoff shrugged. Something about the jawline, the teeth, the forehead. I don't know. I just know a Flatlander when I see one. Yes, well, the smell of beer, sweat and cabbages is usually enough to betray the presence of a lion crester, Gustav grumbled. This man needs rest, Blessed Zelenheim said, looking up at them all. Do we have some place we can put him? Ever since Tubalbar, there have been a few empty hammocks in the hold. He can sleep there, the captain answered, with a touch of melancholy in his voice. May I remind you all that we're on a secret mission for the Witch Hunter Order, said Tomgard. Do we really need a stranger on board? Everyone was quiet, but then the priestess spoke up. Do we need him? No, we don't, Witch Hunter, but he needs us. I understand that, Blessed, but I think our priority is the mission. We know nothing about this man, and our quest is secret, Tomgard continued to protest. Alvarado was unable to hide his anger at those words. I could not just let him drown, could I? He said harshly. No, you could not, said Master von Baumeister, who had been remarkably quiet in the conversation so far. We are witch hunters, men and women of the goddess. We do not abandon the needy. Ludlow was shocked at the master's magnanimity, but he did appreciate it. However... Von Baumeister continued. Tomgard is right. We are on a secret mission, and the stranger will need to be watched and guarded. Very closely. I will take responsibility for him, Alvarado said. After all, I was the one... No, I will, Gustav interrupted him. If the captain is right, he's my countryman. I will take care of him and keep an eye out as well. See to it that he doesn't do anything wrong and all that. At first... Ludlow was shocked by Gustav's noble offer, but then he saw the Flatlander's anxious expression and realized he was trying to secure his own position aboard the Teresia. Now that the key had been used, 
Von Baumeister might be looking for an excuse to get rid of Gustav. This would make him useful enough to last at least a bit longer. If he does cause trouble, let it be on my head, Gustav concluded. If you wish, if you please, Master von Baumeister, sir. Von Baumeister gave him an appraising look. Very well. The castaway will be your responsibility, shopkeeper, he concluded. Make sure he's comfortable, but he doesn't overhear our conversations. Ludlov was in his cabin, drawing mindlessly in his sketchbook. The afternoon had become too hot to stay on deck for his taste, so he preferred to spend his time here. He found he couldn't really enjoy the solitude, as his thoughts dwelt on the mysterious stranger they had picked up. Whoever he was, it looked like he was the last survivor of some kind of attack, and that troubled Ludlove. With the black ship only just out of the picture, it seemed there were more dangers out here in the Southern Sea. If the man survived, they might learn what had happened, but Blessed Zeilenheim had shared nothing about his physical state. At least, he didn't look wounded, just parched, half-starved and ravaged by the sun. When the bell rang for supper, Ludlov was surprised to see an additional guest at the captain's table. The stranger was sitting at the corner, between Gustav and Federhelm. He was wearing clean clothes, and he was already enjoying his food. Ludlov gave the man a curt nod in greeting. Once everyone had arrived at the table and given up a prayer of thanks to the goddess, Captain Brokelhoff addressed them all while Berend was distributing bowls of stew. As you can see, our guest has remained consciousness and is quickly recovering, the captain began. I believe this is his third helping, Alvarado whispered to Ludlov as the newcomer plunged his spoon into his bowl. It turns out his name is Art, and he was a lone sailor on these waters until tragedy befell him. Art, if you feel well enough, perhaps you could tell us more? Art looked up, his craggly beard dripping with stew. Now, uh, finally allemaal te mogen ontmoeten. Bedankt dat jullie me lekker gehad hebben. Vooral die jonge kerel met zijn zwarte hardels daar, he said in a surprisingly deep voice. Ludlov had no idea what he had just said, but it sounded like a coarse dialect of Flatlandish. He's happy to meet us and thanks Alvarado for rescuing him, Gustav translated. <laughs> I can speak, Totvig, Ard laughed. I just wanted to see if my fellow Flatlander would translate me honestly. He patted Gustav on the back. Good job, friend, he said jovially, provoking a crooked smile from his countrymen. Where do you hail from, Ad? Chappelle asked politely. Middendam, he said. Born and raised. Started out as a fisherman, then became more of an adventurer, and eventually ended up a castaway, looks like. What happened? Ludlov asked. Pirates? No, that would have actually made for a much better story to tell, I have to admit. Ad shrugged. My sailboat just broke. Your sailboat? Repeated the captain incredulously. That sounds rather small for the open sea. I couldn't afford anything bigger on my own, Ard said. And I wanted to sail to Marnosa. From where? Asked Tuamgard. The gate of Lignel, Ard said, taking another spoonful of stew. Well, to be more precise, I started from Bukovia, he corrected with his mouth full. Did you travel down the river? asked Tuamgar. Of course I did, Ard replied, after swallowing his food. That's an ambitious journey, Federhel said. 
his tone somewhere between skepticism and genuine admiration. Why did you do it? Ad shrugged again. It seemed to be a typical gesture of his. Love, what wouldn't we do for a day? Could you elaborate? Federhel asked. Gladly, Ad said with a glint in his eye. Shall I tell you of Ismelda, the loveliest maiden in the world? Just the gist of it will do, Federhel said carefully. <laughs> Very well, you cold-blooded Evenindalian. I promised Ismelda a treasure no one else could give her. And then I thought of the blue pearls that can be caught along the coast of Marnosa. And so you travelled all the way from Bucolia on a little sailboat? Chappelle asked. The awe in her voice unmistakable. Well, for the right woman, the right man will do whatever it takes. Art said with a smile. Even go on a journey no one has ever even tried before. No one's done it because it's impossible, Tomgard grunted. Besides, Marnosa is still quite a way north from here. If your story is true, you sailed way too far south, Flatlander. <laughs> you can say that again, Ad said. By the time I passed by Garadoso, <laughs> I realized something was wrong. You have seen Garadoso? The captain asked, intrigued. Not up close. <laughs> too dangerous. But yes. Why is it too dangerous to get close? Ludlov asked. The rocks! Ad said, in a tone that indicated he thought that was obvious. Those islands are surrounded by sharp outcroppings of volcanic stone. Very dangerous, even for a little sailboat when the sea is restless, as it was at the time. So I headed west, hoping to reach the coast of Isclavia. But something must have gone wrong because suddenly my boat started making water. No matter what I did, I couldn't stop it from sinking. So I just broke loose some wood from the deck to make a raft. I clung onto it for dear life as I watched my boat sink. And there I was, all alone on my little raft in the big blue sea. He stared gloomily into his cup for a bit, until Captain Brokelhoff refilled it for him and his mood lit up again. I stayed on that raft for days, nights, goddess knows how long actually, he said, looking as if he had just only now realized how close to death he might have come. I think I got sunstroke, or maybe I passed out from hunger, but I don't remember much of that, nor do I want to. And then you came along and fished me out of the water. Thanks again for that. He raised his cup and drank some wine. Ah, you remind me of a young me, Gustav said, smiling proudly at Ard, as if the castaway were his son. Oh, Sancta Agnes be praised. Another boastful flatlander aboard, Tomgard muttered. What an adventure this has turned out to be, Ad said happily. And here I am in a ship full of witch hunters. <laughs> I always thought you were an amazing order. I love those hats you wear, and the uniforms. Especially on the lady witch hunters, he added with a wink in Chappelle's direction. What's the story behind this journey, anyway? You're a long way off from Seven Peaks, and there are no witches in this area, as far as I've heard. Our business is our own. Von Baumeister declared categorically. You may stay on board if you pull your weight as one of the crew, but you do not get involved in our endeavor unless I give you a specific command. Is that clear? Ard's expression had gradually turned from cheerfully curious to timid and dejected while the witch hunter master had been speaking. Perfectly sure, Ard said softly, then exchanged a mock fearful expression with Gustav. But if I may ask, 
Where are we going? Eventually, we will drop you off in a civilized location, don't worry, von Baumeister said. But before that, our group is headed for Garadoso. Garadoso? Ard repeated. So that's why you were so interested in my trip. But that place is cursed, let me tell you. I wouldn't set foot on land there. Good, von Baumeister replied, because you will be staying on board the ship. Prove your worth. Fulfill your duties as a sailor. I can do that, sir, Ard said. We lost some men in an encounter with the sea serpent, Captain Brokelhoff clarified. We could use the help. Gladly. Good, said von Baumeister. Mr. Finsterdunkel next to you has offered to take responsibility for you. Your behavior will reflect on him. One wrong move, and we'll put you both on a desert island with nothing but the clothes on your backs. Is he always like that? Ard asked Gustav, who shrugged most of the time. By sunset, Ludlov was standing at the railing, but he wasn't watching the spectacular display of light and color at the horizon. His eye was on the two flatlanders, walking around the deck. Gustav pointing and explaining things, Ard following and asking questions. Alvarado approached him and smiled. One loud-mouthed flatlander was trouble enough. Now we've got two. Actually, it does trouble me a bit, Ludlov said. What do we really know about Ard? Can we trust his story? I think if he had made something up, it would have been a little bit more heroic on his part, Alvarado said. I suppose that's true, Ludlov said, not entirely convinced. Still, I would be cautious around him. Our mission is secret, after all. Upon seeing Alvarado's concerned frown, Ludlov held up his hand. Of course I'm happy you saved his life, and I commend you for it. I suppose I'm just a bit wary of strangers in our current situation. No offense, Ludlov, but I think you have always been wary of strangers before as well. Ludlov just gazed at his boots in silence, as if he felt caught somehow. Perhaps his coming to us was a divine gift, Ludlov. We lost men, and now the goddess has provided us with some extra helping hands. The two flatlanders walked up to them. Ard was carrying a bottle of wine. What is that? Alvarado asked. A welcoming gift from the captain, Ard said. I was just about to ask you men to share a glass with me and Gus here. Don't call him that, Ludlov said. He's sensitive to it. Really? Ard asked turning to Gustav. Why? The shopkeeper shrugged. I just don't like it. My name is Gustav Finsterdunkel, not Gus. You know, it makes me wonder, Ard said, then looked at the bottle of wine. Ah, forget about glasses, he muttered, and then pulled the cork from the bottle with a loud plop. To set the example, he took a good swig from the bottle before wiping his mouth with the back of his hand. Voyez-vous? He said, not bad, not bad. Then he passed the bottle on to Gustav and leaned comfortably against the railing with his back between Ludlov and Alvarado. What do you mean it makes you wonder? Gustav asked Ard before he put his mouth to the bottle. Ard shrugged. You're from Flatland, but your name is Totik. Why is that? Gustav drank, smacked his lips and passed on the bottle to Alvarado. It's just the name I chose when I settled in Seven Peaks. I wanted it to sound like I belonged there. Why, 
Finster Dunkel. It's a bit strange, isn't it? Rudolf remarked. Gustav grinned. I wanted it to sound intimidating, too. Ludlow thought it rather ridiculous, but he kept his opinion to himself. Apparently, Gustav was quite touchy when it came to his name. He accepted the bottle from Alvarado and had a gulp. It felt wrong to treat fine wine like this, but he did enjoy the taste of it. So, this journey to Caradoso, Art began. It is secret, Alvarado said. Oh, I already know you're hunting the treasure of Boneyard Bay, Ard said with a dismissive wave. Ludlow sighed in exasperation. <sighs> Let me guess. Gustav told you? Of course he did. Flatlanders tell each other everything. <laughs> I actually think it's exciting. The money is not for us, Alvarado said. It's for Seven Peaks. Ard shrugged. It doesn't matter to me. It's the adventure that excites me, not the treasure. I grew up rich. Money bores me. He had another swig from the bottle after Gustav handed it over to him. The truth is, he continued, I spent the last eight months of my life without a coin in my pocket, and I've never been happier. I've been working for food and shelter, living from day to day, like I will be doing here. It's simple, it's honest, it's good enough for me. He smiled and passed on the bottle to Alvarado. There was a pleasant silence. For a moment, Ludlow had the feeling he was just on a boat trip with some friends, not on a perilous journey to find a legendary treasure. He noticed the two crew members, Peter and Nela, clearly having a break, watching the sunset together. In that moment, he truly enjoyed his newfound sailor life. It seemed straightforward. He almost felt envious of Ard. To be free as a bird, living from day to day, Unburdened by goals and objectives, going where the wind blew you, meeting people everywhere, depending on their kindness, it seemed like a peaceful life compared to his complicated existence of justice and vengeance. Maybe that was why he felt a strange dislike towards the man. Of course, he realized he shouldn't. The man hadn't done anything to deserve that. As he was mulling over his feelings, Ludlow noticed that Ard had been looking in his direction as if he was trying to determine what he was thinking. He decided to give the newcomer a friendly nod of acceptance. The Guardian Ludlow emerged out of the hold. As he ascended the steps towards the deck, he became aware of the screams. He began to run, but his legs moved as if he were wading through a swamp. When at last he arrived on deck, he saw flames all around, towering high above him. Screaming men were jumping off board, some of whom were burning alive. The heat was unbearable, but Ludlow just stood there, too shocked and overwhelmed to do anything. Then Alvarado came running towards him. Ludlow, you have to do something! I don't know what, Ludlow said. Do something! Alvarado caught flame and burned to ashes in an instant. Ludlow wanted to help him, but still he stood frozen, watching the ashes blow away in a gust of hot wind. Behind the swirling torrent of grey, he saw Maria, 
she was barely visible behind the smoke and the heat shimmer. But she saw him. Her golden hair was loose, spilling freely over a black dress that looked like a morning gown. She turned to him, a tear running down her cheek. There was pity in her eyes, and something more devastating as well. Disappointment. Ludlove tried to scream, but while he felt the air moving through his throat and his mouth, no sound emerged. He turned away from his wife in shame, seeing only a wall of flame behind him. Then, through the flames came Tubalbar, wearing a rock formation on his head in the shape of a five-pointed star. Ard was held in place on top of the sea serpent's head, locked up behind the bars of the crown, screaming for Ludlov's help. Maria re-emerged by his side, a hopeful look in her eyes. Ludlov suddenly had a bucket of seawater in his hands that he started pouring out onto the flames. But even though the bucket never seemed to run empty, the flames still spread and became bigger. Tubalba grinned with malice as Ard's face caught fire. His lips and skin were scorched by the flames. As Ard's body burned away, all of his friends on deck caught fire as well and started screaming. Dropping the bucket, Ludlov reached for his own face and found that it burned too. He felt Maria's hand on his shoulder and noticed it had caught fire. Her beautiful eyes turned to hollow, scorching sockets. Ludlov opened his eyes and saw the wooden ceiling of his cabin in the soft grey light of early morning. Another nightmare then. As he emerged onto the deck of the Teresia, he felt a tinge of fear, almost expecting to see a wall of flame around him. But all was quiet and peaceful. A few sailors were already at work. He saw the man called Wanus, possibly the strongest member of the crew, moving crates as if they were pillows, his naked muscular torso glistening in the early daylight. Then his gaze shifted to another sailor, a smaller man with a big moustache, whom he had heard called Swa. He was just sitting on a barrel, watching the sea and smoking a pipe. Peter and Nela were silently loosening some knots in the sails and tying some others, all the while throwing each other knowing, shy glances. In the middle of the deck he saw the white figure of Blessed Zelenheim, kneeling. Her hands were folded, her head was bowed, and her eyes were closed. Ludlov didn't want to disturb her morning prayers and tried to stay out of the way. He turned his gaze towards the sea. Do not turn away, Inishit, he heard a voice say. You are welcome to join me in prayer. Softly, Ludlov approached the priestess. She opened her eyes and smiled. She had very gentle features, Ludlov noticed and he liked the wrinkles around her eyes when she smiled. She was like the mother he wished he had known. The final part of my prayer is wordless, she said. In it, I invite the goddess to approach me in any way she sees fit. Most of the time, nothing happens right away. But this morning, you arrived on deck at precisely the right time. 
So perhaps the goddess wants us to meet. What brings you here so early, Initiate Ludlov? Bad dreams, Ludlov admitted, against his own expectations. Again. The priestess regarded him compassionately. You carry a burden of grief, she observed. And it is still fresh. Ludlov could only nod, unwilling to tell her more. There is pain in you, she continued. Pain you do not understand. You wonder why the goddess allows you to suffer as you do. Ludlov felt uncomfortable under her soft but relentless gaze. He swallowed bitterly. And yet, you are a man of great faith. I can see that in you as well. Ludlov felt a knot in his stomach. He had not expected this from her. Blessed Zelenheim had always seemed a bit aloof to him, too deep in her own world of prayer and ritual to notice what was going on around her. But then he realized there was more to her observations. She couldn't possibly know all of these things just by looking and listening. You are still connected to the Arcanic language, he said softly. Finally, she lifted her gaze from him. I know it, she said, but I can't use it, nor do I intend to, while the presence of the Seven Stones forbids it. But I know its place in our history, and I will not deny that. That was far more than Ludlov had come to expect from a Voronitsian. Yes, I am familiar with your writings, Ludlov of Seven Peaks, she added with a sly smile. What did you think? She shrugged. Good points. But if you're right, then the goddess will prove it. Until then, my allegiance lies with the cardinal. Another fair assessment, Ludlov had to admit. It's a shame you stopped writing because of your grief, the priestess said. I... I, I can't... I, I couldn't now. I understand. You have been placed on a different path now. Very often the goddess surprises us when we discover her will for our lives. Was my wife's death her will? Ludlov dared to utter the question that had been tearing at him for months. She does not will evil, Ludlov, the priestess said. But in a world where evil is not possible, what is the meaning of good? Ludlov understood. He had always understood, rationally. Living through it was another matter altogether, though. The goddess has allowed this evil to befall you, suffering from it as much as you do. But if you allow her, she will also use your pain to bring about great good. Already she has placed you on the path of a witch hunter. You will bring justice to this world and destroy evil, and your pain will drive you. When she saw his expression, she smiled again. Rest assured, Initiate. It will not always be so. Eventually, you will find rest. Ludlov looked at her understandingly. Two years ago, I never would have imagined myself as a witch hunter, Ludlov admitted 
Now I am on my way to become one. Indeed, the goddess puts us on surprising paths. The same is true for me, Blessed Zelenheim said. You will have noticed I'm not naturally the adventurous type. I have, Ludlov conceded with a crooked smile. Somehow the goddess has placed the ability to lift curses in my hands. And now I must leave behind the safety of Seven Peaks and travel into darkness and danger to use my gift. Do you expect you will need to lift a curse on this treasure? Ludlov asked. I do. And when the time comes, I want you to watch closely, Ludlov. When you see the power of the goddess at work, you may be inspired to write again. Ludlov nodded slowly, letting her words sink in. He had no intention of ever writing a book again, but he respected the priestess and her opinion. I would be honored to witness such a thing, blessed, he said. They sailed on for many more days, and Ludlov lost track of time. It was as if the cradling of the waves was lulling him into a permanently foggy, dreamlike state. The weather seemed to grow warmer every day. On a particularly hot day, Ludlov had gone for an early swim with Chapelle and Alvarado. Afterwards, they had exchanged stories about strange encounters and funny anecdotes over lunch, while their clothes dried in the noon sun. Even though he seemed to be chewing some nice pieces of Berent's freshly baked bread, Gustav was in a particularly bad mood, moping around and grumbling to himself. Occasionally, he let out a sneeze that the rats below deck might have experienced as a hurricane. Ludlov feared the shopkeeper might be having a cold. Although he felt sorry for him, he didn't want to come too close to Gustav, as the prospect of getting sick on this journey did not appeal to him at all. But then the Flatlander turned to him with an irritated frown, saying, Girls! Those flying rats want to steal my bread! I hate them! They always make me sneeze! Ludlov couldn't help but laugh as Gustav danced around like a monkey, trying to chase the birds away. Then, when they seemed to have finally left, he gave Ludlov an exhausted look and said, Never trust a bird, Ludlov! Never trust a bird! It was late afternoon when the cry came from the crow's nest. Garadoso had been reached. Soon, the main island became clearly visible to all, slowly growing bigger as they approached. In front of the coastline were many jagged peaks of dark rock sticking out of the ocean, much like the crown of Kulmar. Smaller, but more numerous, constantly being lashed by waves that burst upon them in a mass of foam. The island lay beyond, dark and quiet, 
like an old and patient spider in its web. It seemed to be covered entirely in thick vegetation, at least from what Ludlove could see at this distance. While the weather was still warm, grey rain clouds were hovering ominously over the jungle, daring any trespasser to come closer. It doesn't look very welcoming, Gustav said. It is not, Alvarado replied, in a surprisingly serious tone. All will depend upon our captain now. It could be very dangerous to navigate that rugged coastline, Captain Brokelhoff admitted. But we will be careful. That is not what I meant, Captain, Alvarado said. Soon, the rocks will be the least of our problems. What do you mean? The captain asked, with a suspicious frown. Is there some other danger you witch hunters conveniently forgot to tell me? It is I who should have told you, Alvarado said earnestly. But I thought it better not to alarm anyone, as it is unavoidable anyway. I humbly ask for your forgiveness. So you know something about this island then? Alvarado shrugged. Just what every child raised in his glavia knows, he said. There is only one way to set foot on Garadoso. There is no preparing for it. You just have to be yourself, and hopefully, that will do. Concerned sailors began to group around the young Esclavian. The other treasure hunters regarded him with apprehension. I know most of you think these are just children's tales, but when you hear them again and again, you know there is truth there. What are you talking about, Neshiet? Tomgard inquired impatiently. I speak of the legendary guardian of Garadoso. Krankwar. The captain smiled in relief. <laughs> I've heard of that. There is supposedly some creature here that judges whether you are worthy to visit. Do you know how many tales like that exist about remote locations in the sea? Like the legendary crown of Gulmaron? Alvarado asked. Well, that's different, the captain objected. Is it? Why? Address the captain with respect, initiate, von Baumeister warned. I meant no disrespect, master. I just wanted to point out we have already seen one legend with our own eyes. Why not this one? And both are related to the Matpatanians, Federhel came to his aid. He grew quiet when he saw the master's expression. Tell me about this uh, Krankpot, Captain Brokelhoff said. Krankwar, Captain. Alvarado corrected. Gladly. Everyone was quiet, ready to listen to Alvarado's explanation. He seemed to grow a bit nervous about all the sudden attention. But then he composed himself. Well, as you can see, and as Ad will be able to confirm, the entire island is surrounded by sharp rocks. Captain Brokelhoff quickly glanced at Ad, who nodded. I've shelled past the eastern side, and I can confirm it, he said. Those rocks are around the three smaller ones, too. Go on, the captain told Alvarado. Well, there is only one place to anchor the ship, which is by a very tall, spiky rock, some distance from the island. It has a strange symbol carved into it, or at least that's what my nanny told me. There, Crankor will come and put you to the test. You. 
and only you, he added sternly. Because I am the captain, Brokohoff said with an understanding nod. The Guardian judges both your heart and your reasons to visit the island. If they are pure, he will let you pass. If not, he will destroy the ship and kill us all. Captain Brokelhoff raised his eyebrows. I see. Is that all? Alvarado raised both his hands. I can only pass on what I have learned in my childhood. It's up to you to decide what you do with it. The captain scratched his face. Well, we cannot anchor down here. That much is clear anyway. We will have to find a good place. Where is this big spike? Did your nanny tell you that? Alvarado shook his head. Well, if it's the only place to anchor down, we'll just keep on moving until we stumble upon it, like we did with the crown. The winds are taking us to the south coast of the island, and according to the maps, there's a bay. Seems like a logical place for nature to provide a bollard. We'll need it, said Alvarado. The sea is so wild out there, the anchor alone won't do. Teresia made her way around the bend of the island as the clouds thickened and a distant thunder began to rumble. The darkness remained close to the island, though. Unlike their encounter with the crown of Kulmaron, the air above the sea was surprisingly clear. Soon, the spike became easily visible, sticking out of the water like a warning finger. Several crew members were pointing towards it as the ship neared Garadoso. They sailed as close as the captain deemed safe. The crew had no trouble anchoring down the Teresia in time, even while the sea was gradually growing more restless. Then Pete dove bravely into the water to swim around the spike with a thick rope. He got some help from his fellow crew members getting the other end back on board. Naylor was watching him, with a mixture of pride and worry. Rudlov observed there was indeed a small bay beyond the spike. The beach there was very narrow and quickly gave way to steep jungle-covered hills and dark rocky cliffs. It was raining when the Teresia lay cradled on the waves, her sails folded. Captain Brokelhoff was standing at the steering wheel, carefully regarding the dark water in the bay. Mr. Alvarado! he said to the initiate who was standing nearby. I've done what you suggested. What happens now? Alvarado bit his lip and took a deep breath. Now we wait for Crankor, Captain. Well, we'll first see if he turns up, the captain said, still a bit incredulous. Oh, he will turn up, Alvarado said. He is the ancient guardian of Garadoso. To set foot on its soil, you must appease him. Otherwise, he will destroy us. From my readings, no one has actually visited Garados, so in Federhel began, but a sharp stare from Chappelle silenced him. Be not afraid, Captain, Alvarado said. I have full faith in you. We all do. Ludlov knew Alvarado spoke his honest opinion by nature. 
He quietly wondered what he himself believed of these tales, and how the captain would fare if he were indeed to be tested by this guardian. How do you know it's the captain who will be tested? He asked Alvarado, expressing another concern that had come up in his mind. Perhaps the creature will consider Master von Baumeister to be the leader of this operation. Alvarado shook his head. Rancor is a creature of the sea. It will have to be the captain. It's always the one in charge of the ship. It knows who that is. Captain Brokelhoff looked around at each of the witch hunters, the priestess, Gustav and several crew members, including Ad, all of whom had now gathered around him on the quarterdeck. There was silence between them. Until the sea began to rise. And the ship heaved, its timbers rolling and creaking. In the bay, the water began to ripple into large waves as a huge, dark form slowly rose from it. Sea water streaming down from it. Everyone stood still, watching the behemoth appear. At first it looked like a small island or a rock formation. Ludlow had no idea what to expect. Then, without warning, four massive shapes burst from the briny waves. They were long black limbs of hard carapace, each ending in a massive pincher like a lobster's, only sharper and twice as long as a man. Two of the pinchers bit down into the side of the ship, pulling it slightly down. Ludlov almost lost his balance and then his nerve as Crankwar's grey head appeared out of the water. It was massive, sporting five horns spread out over its skull, with fleshy translucent webbing in between that made it look like a fan. The hard, stony, vaguely humanoid face had no mouth and ended in a complex mouth of writhing tendrils, like the tentacles of an octopus, continually questing for something to grasp. Still, none of these features, however strange and disturbing, were what caught Ludlow's attention. Only one part of the creature's appearance caused him to freeze in otherworldly terror. Crankwar's single wide eye, carved in the midst of its face, a glistening black orb, slowly coming to life with a deep blue glare that gradually turned into light emerging from its impenetrable depths. No one screamed, jumped or reached for their weapons, but the fear was palpable. There was a bitter smell in the air, unlike anything Ludlow knew, and it made his eyes sting. As the blue light in Crankwar's eye grew brighter, the cross-shaped pupil at the center became visible, darting around the ship, now and then holding still to focus on a single figure. It lingered on Master von Baumeister, who stood with his chest out in a challenging pose. Then the eye moved away from him and finally settled on Captain Brokelhoff. A sudden tense sigh betrayed either a fearful gasp or an escaping breath of relief. The light intensified, bathing the entire ship in it. It felt to Ludlow as if the cold glow of that light made time stand still, 
frozen in a moment of abject fear. Then he heard a voice like a whisper echoing in his head, but louder than a man screaming into his ear. slowly walked closer to the eye, the only person on board the Teresia who dared to make a move. Then the eye held him in its inscrutable gaze for an agonizingly long time. Captain Brokelhoff held his ground as the creature bored into his soul. Rudlov could almost feel Krankor's piercing stare, like a cold blade. Gradually, the light from the eye subsided, and the head slowly rolled back, the tentacles at the end of it rising and squirming, finally revealing a dark, gaping hole in the midst of them. The tentacles spread out, leaving the hole wide open, facing the captain. Then the entire head shook as an enormous gob of greenish slime was flung out of the dark opening and hit the captain with such force that he fell down on deck. Determined never to freeze again the way he had with Tubalbar, Ludlov reached for his rapier and drew it. While it was probably too late for Captain Brokelhoff to escape the damage done by this sort of monstrous acid, Ludlov wouldn't let this creature get away with it so easily. Who was this hideous cyclops to judge the heart of a fine man anyway? Never again would he simply let the monsters of the world commit their heinous deeds unpunished. But then, he heard that sinister voice again. You have received my blessing. Ludlov saw the captain crawl upright as the squid-like tentacles receded back into the water. The giant pinchers released the ship and slowly moved back down into the waves until there was no trace left of the creature. Captain Brokelhoff turned to face his crew and passengers, dripping with slime, too baffled to say anything. You passed! I knew it! Alvarado cried out. All hail the captain! The Esclavian couldn't help himself, and forgetting about the slime for a second, gave the captain a firm hug. Thank you for listening to the sixth episode of The Treasure of Boneyard Bay, A Witch Hunter Tale. These are some of our wonderful patrons from the Witch Hunter tier, our $5 tier on. Amy and Dallas Austin, Matt Petain, Peter Strandkrone, Cameron Brantley, Joseph Stowell, Cody Heitsch, Mix and Match, Arno Teva, Caitlin Bredenkamp, 
Kat Museri, Ryan Stock, Tony Ranico, and Liam Gabriel. Thank you guys. You make us reach for the moon instead of for the stars. We are tremendously grateful for your support. If you enjoyed this episode and look forward to more of them, don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel and click that notification bell heart so you'll get notified of our future uploads. Or consider activating the RSS feed on Podbean. Please share our stories with your fantasy-loving friends and relatives or just people yearning for original stories again instead of the many remakes, adaptations, prequels, sequels and spin-offs out there. And it's always encouraging for us to read your thoughts and feedback in the comments. Should you mention spoilers to those who haven't listened to the entire story yet, please write spoiler alert before you comment or keep that discussion for the appropriate channel on Discord. You can find the link to join our server in the description and the pinned comment. The next chapter is called The Island and will be premiered next week. Michael Bay had nothing to do with it though. If you catch yourself listening to former episodes over and over again while waiting for the next episode, you might want to get hold of the extended edition that is almost an hour longer and a real treat to true fans of our setting of Ruda. You can purchase it on Bandcamp or check out the $10 tier on our Patreon page. Or just consider supporting us for $1 a month. That would be a mere $12 a year. It would treat one of us to a movie ticket in the theaters, which might actually inspire a new story or storytelling podcast. I'm gonna leave you now with your speculations and thoughts. It's bedtime over here and I wish you all a great rest of the week and an awesome weekend. And I hope to see you again next week for episode 7. As usual, we'll be hanging out in our YouTube chatroom lounge a couple of minutes before and after, and also during the premiere on YouTube. Bye bye!